This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Did you see the post on the um, WGA Facebook group? Someone was asking about what, what are the best shoes to wear while picketing? Oh, yes. I think Hoka's won, right? Uh, yes, I think they did. It was almost you, universally Hoka. You were ahead of that trend, Sarah, by about eight years. Thanks to script supervisors only. <laughs> Hi, and welcome to Happier in Hollywood, the podcast about how to be happier, healthier, saner, more creative, more successful, and more productive in a backbiting, superficial, chaotic, unpredictable, fundamentally insane world. I'm Liz Kraft, a TV writer and producer living in L.A., and with me is my high school friend and writing partner, Sarah. That's me, Sarah Fain. On this podcast, we talk about being writers in Hollywood, how we balance a career and friendship, and how to survive the war of attrition that is life in Los Angeles. Today, we're going to talk to TV writer Nadia Abbas-Madden about her truly amazing Hollywood story and how she came to be a writer on Fox's hit series, 911. Then we have a take a hike about reconnecting with old friends. And this week's Hollywood hack is Sarah's new favorite thing. And it's Sarah's week for a recommendation. But first, this update, we are still on strike. I feel like this is going to be our update for quite a while. <laughs> but there's news. Yes. So the news is that SAG-AFTRA, which is the union that represents actors, voted to authorize a strike if their negotiations with the AMPTP don't yield what they need and deserve. And it passed by a big number. I think like ours, it was 98%. Yes. And of course, Sarah, we totally support them and we appreciate all the support they've been giving us. They've been showing up on the picket lines. Obviously, we hope that a fair deal is made, which would help us if they got a good deal. Mm -hmm. But if they don't get a fair deal, then they will potentially be out on strike with us and we'll all be picketing together. Yes, we'll pick it for them and they'll pick it for us. Hopefully yes. the AMPTP will step up. It's yes. time. Yes. Oh, and as this continues, we want to remind everyone that you can give to the Entertainment Community Fund if you want to help those impacted by the strike. This means crew members and businesses who aren't able to work because writers are striking and because potentially actors will also be on strike. We'll see. You can find the Entertainment Community Fund online, entertainmentcommunity.org. Okay, Sarah, it's time for From the Treadmill Desk of, in which we discuss what's most pressing in our work psyche and today, it's a feel-good Hollywood story. So right now, with the strike going on, we are all really stressed out and wondering about the future of Hollywood. As we keep saying, it's an existential moment here yes. in Hollywood. And we felt like it's the perfect time to remember that some Hollywood dreams really do come true. Indeed, they do. So when I ran into a writer friend of ours on the picket line the other day who has an inspiring story, 
that happens to have a little something to do with us, we invited her to join us. Nadia Abbas Madden, a first-generation Lebanese-American, is an inaugural member of the WGA West's Middle Eastern Writers Committee. She currently works as an executive story editor on Fox's 911, where she draws from her expertise as a former 911 dispatcher, putting the drama and trauma on the page. And we met Nadia pre-pandemic. She came to our first ever, and only at this point, thanks to the pandemic, <laughs> Happier in Hollywood Writers Retreat, which was in Ohio. It was a weekend-long retreat, so we really got to spend a lot of time with her and get to know her, uh, and she is so wonderful. Welcome, Nadia. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's exciting. Oh, it's so fantastic to see you. Now, we want to start, Nadia, with just tell us what brought you to the Happier in Hollywood Writers Retreat. Sure. Um, I had met a friend at Austin Film Festival who told me about a first ever mixer um, Happier in Hollywood was having. And I was asking her, well, what is that? And she's like, oh, it's this new podcast I'm listening to. And I went to the mixer. I met a few people there and I was hooked on the podcast. And then when you had announced there was going to be a writer's retreat, I was in. There was no hesitation. I was like, oh, I'm signing up. This is going to fill up really quickly, and I'm going. I'm going. At that time in your life, you had made the decision that you wanted to transition from what you were doing to trying to become a TV writer. Tell us about that. Yeah. You know, it all started when I was a teenager. My Mother's boyfriend had worked at NBC on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson, and I was able to attend a lot of tapings. They really felt live, but they weren't streamed live, but it was just a well-oiled machine, and Johnny was so magical. It just felt the whole thing was magical to me. And I told him, I want to do something behind the camera in this business. And he said, well, even if you want to be a page here at NBC, you have to go get your bachelor's degree. So I did, and I learned screenwriting was something I liked. And But then I, I got married, I had kids, I worked at my profession, and life just took a, you know, a different route until about, I don't know, 14 years ago, my husband had been diagnosed with a brain tumor, and he survived a pretty scary surgery. And I thought, well, life's too short for him and for me. My kids are of an age where they don't need me every minute. I'm going for this. Um, I had quit my job, and I just dove into learning everything I could about TV writing, how to write a pilot, Started writing script after script and uh, pilot scripts, spec scripts for TV fellowships and entering contests, going to Awesome Film Festival. I just, I treated it like a full-time job. Nadia, tell us what was your previous career and actually your husband's previous career because they're both pretty fascinating. Yeah, um, in order to put myself through film school, I joined the Riverside County Sheriff's Department and I started in the jail as a clerk. I met my husband in jail. <laughs> he was a deputy, <laughs> not an inmate, though that would have been interesting. He uh, wound up, you know, he rose through the ranks and became a homicide captain. I transferred to the communications division and became a 911 dispatcher, and I did that for 20 years. And, 
he's semi-retired now, and, and I obviously retired from that profession. And so when we met you, Nadia, we heard your story, and we, as, you know, there are so many shows that take place in this world of procedurals, and you had a great script, and the fact that you were a 911 operator was so interesting, and it so happened at that time that 911 was and still is an extremely popular show on the air. And that had, was kind of your dream to work on 911. And will you just tell us the, your, the story? Because it's such a great story. Yeah, it was a dream. I had written my own 911 pilots, you know, and then I saw that Ryan Murphy was making a show called 911, and it would feature a 911 dispatcher. And I was like, well, that's going to go, and that's going to be a hit. <laughs> And uh, I even remember posting on my Facebook page, like, you know, that that was happening. And, and I wrote, I could dream, you know. So meanwhile, I had been writing a lot of pilot scripts. And one of them, which is a period piece about 1890s Chinatown, San Francisco, involving the Tong Wars, that eventually won a big screenwriting contest, uh, Final Drafts big break. And through that, I, part of the award was tuition to Jen Grisanti's teleseminar, which is a TV writing class. And I had taken Jen's classes before, and I, I still do, <laughs> actually. I've probably taken them five times. But I was like, great, I would have probably taken this and paid for it, but free tuition. This is great. Also, at that time, it was fellowship season, meaning you have to write a spec and a pilot and a bio to enter these TV fellowships. Um, at the time, it was Warner Brothers, NBC, ABC, CBS. And so I was like, I really don't want to do this again. I've done it at least five years in a row. And I thought, well, I'll go ahead and write a 911 spec because I know the show, I know the world, that shouldn't take too long. So I did. And um, in the process, I had posted in that teleseminars Facebook page, hey, does anyone have a 911 PDF? I wanted to copy the format of the show. And this wonderful lady who I will always call my fairy godmother, sent me a private message saying, hey, I know the showrunner. I see that you won Final Draft. You're a former dispatcher. Maybe I should tell Tim, my near, the showrunner, about you. And I was thinking, oh my gosh, yes, please. But she was like, but I don't know you. And I was thinking, well, that's fair. She doesn't. <laughs> and I said, but the instructor, Jen, knows me. And I will ask her for a recommendation. Just say the word. And so she said, sure, go ahead. And also write me a letter of interest. So Jen had written me a letter of recommendation. I wrote a letter of interest uh, talking about my background. And that's when your retreat comes in. As that was all underway, I had met you two ladies and told you about this situation. And you had very kindly said, hey, well, we'll write you a recommendation to Tim because we used to work with Tim. And I was like, oh, my gosh, that would be amazing. It's so interesting to hear you talk about this because 
you know, I, I'm thinking from our point of view of you at the retreat and just how you stood out because you were so focused. I mean, you had spent years totally focused on this goal of becoming a TV writer. I remember you said you got an apartment in Burbank or something so that you could be closer to job opportunities. Yes, I had rented a room from a friend and still do, actually, uh, because I live out in the Inland Empire to go to Hollywood industry events. And I just thought, this woman is serious. Like, she is not screwing around here. And I think especially because, you know, so many people fear the idea of totally changing careers, embarking on a new career, especially in entertainment later in life, meaning like right. when when you're not 20. <laughs> and, and yet here you were totally focused. Was that scary at any point? Um, I mean, I wasn't getting any younger, so I knew <sighs> the assistant route probably wasn't in the cards for me. But I knew I liked to write, so I couldn't give it up. I was like, well, Mm. I like to write, so I'm going to be writing in some form, whether that's novels if this doesn't pan out. But I couldn't tell myself this wasn't going to happen. Of course, you're always, the older you get, you're like, okay, is this going to happen? And it's scary because year after year, you're like I said, you're applying to fellowships. And I, I wasn't repped at this time, but it was the eye of the tiger. You know, I was like, nope, I'm going for this. Well, and the other thing that's wonderful, I think, about your story is everything was about making personal connections, ones that you, like, really sought out, and then also people seeing, okay, this woman has something. I want to reach out and help her. But you put yourself in those positions to have people do that for you, which then led you to a meeting with Tim Minear. Yeah, that was crazy. I... <laughs> I finally got the meeting. It was to be a researcher on 911's sister show, 911 Lone Star, which hadn't aired at that point. So it was in its first season, and there was a lot going on, and he was prepping for that and shooting it and all of that. And I remember going to the meeting and just thinking, yeah, this is a super important meeting, but you know, it's not like 911 for real and people are dying on the other end of the line, you know, just just be calm and, you know, and go for it. And he was fielding phone calls and everything. And then he's like, oh, sorry about that. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this is like a master class. Like, this is amazing. <laughs> so he was reading my letter of intent, you know, sort of like my resume. And we were talking a little And he said, okay, so you haven't been in a room. And I said, no, but I've been in a writer's group for over five years. I've learned how to give and take notes. And he's like, okay, that's important. And he's just kept reading. And we had some, some banter, and it was great. But then, I don't know, I felt his focus sort of pulling away. And I had been to these five minute pitch events. Another thing I had done Ah. for a good four years. And I was like, oh, nope, this is not going well. Mm. And I had to pull it back. I I felt like I had to re-engage in this. And so I said, hey, I've taken calls that run the gamut from a hangnail to homicide. And he's like, oh, really? And so that kind of got us into it. And he was looking at uh, the letter of intent saying, okay, well, you've 
You've written pilots and specs. And I took a chance and I said, yeah, I even specced 911 for the TV fellowships. And I wasn't expecting to pitch it or anything because typically shows don't read samples of their own shows. But he said, really, what was it about? And I was like, oh, crap, here we go. (laughs) And I said, well, this is something I've always feared being a dispatcher, and that's being held hostage. And um, I said, yeah, if you want to go do a diehard-type heist, you send a crew to go to the tower and pull that off, but you also send a crew to the dispatch center so that any calls die on the vine and you get away and get out of town scot-free. And he was very interested in in that idea. And um, he's like, okay, okay, uh, what's the teaser? And I said, oh, okay, well, this actually happened to a relative of mine. Um, He was a bowling mechanic and he had shut down the lane to work in the back um, because a pin got caught in a pin setter. And in my teaser, it's, it's dark. There's cosmic bowling going on. You know, there's loud music. Well, it's loud anyway in the back of a bowling alley because of all the machines. And he had stuck his, his arm in there and to get a pin, but unbeknownst to him, somebody threw a ball down that lane. And it cycled all of the equipment and the 300-pound pin setter came down on his arm between the cross brace. And uh, he was trapped. He was bleeding out. He was yelling for help. And Tim stopped me, and he was kind of bummed. And he said, yeah, but how does anyone know he's back there? And I said, oh, well, that's the cool part. That very bowling ball comes out of the ball return. And he, uh, he finished my sentence. He said, with blood on it. And I said, yep. <laughs> and he was happy. And he called in Kristen at the time, who was running 911 for him while he was getting Lone Star going. I didn't know this at the time. He's just, this is Kristen, gave a quick introduction who I was. And he said, tell her everything you told me. And I said, do you mean start from the beginning? And he says, yes. So I started the pitch from the beginning, and it was amazing. He was my biggest cheerleader. He would say, and there was blood on it, and there was blood on it, (laughs) and and there's a reason for the hostage situation. And at that point, only at that point, I remember thinking, this is going pretty well. Wow. (laughs) And he said, I tell you what, I'm going to buy that from you as a freelance episode. And you're going to rewrite it with Kristen. And hold on. He had his assistant get the Fox executive on the phone, who I had already met to even get this meeting with Tim. I had to go through her. And he says, hey, I have Nadia in here. Remember, she's a dispatcher, husband's homicide captain. She just pitched me something and I'm going to buy it. Okay. Okay, bye. And then I was like, whoa, did that really happen? And he's like, well, they'll be getting in touch with you. (laughs) And I was thinking, oh, my gosh, is this they they say this never happens. I, I was just, you know, this is so surreal. And he says, but no guarantee I'm going to hire you on as a writer. I will let you get your foot in the door. But what you do with your foot is up to you. And I just said, I understand And uh, at least 
I could say I sold a speck. And he leaned in and he said, and you fucking sold it in the room. And I was never so happy to hear the F word in my life. Uh And uh, (laughs) I was just, I literally put my arm out and pinched myself in front of them. Oh, my God. And Nadia, we should say that that episode that you pitched went on to become an extremely high-rated two-part episode of 911. Yeah, when I went in, they said, we're turning it into a two-parter. You're co-writing first half with this writer, Juan Carlos Cotto, and then the second half with Andrew Myers. They were both amazing. And while we were shooting the second part, I remember seeing Tim in the break room. And it was so funny because he's like, oh, hi. And he's like, oh, I'm trying to hire you as a staff writer. And I was just like, oh, my gosh. I was in shock. I I just remember looking at this row of condiments on the counter. And I go, I'm going to remember this moment. And he's like, (laughs) okay, and walks out. (laughs) I took a picture of that row of condiments. I have that memory. Oh, that's amazing. Um, And now you've been there over three seasons. Yeah, that was mid-season three. And we just got renewed for season seven. So... Wow. And you are officially a professional television writer. I am. (laughs) Every time I tell the story, it feels so surreal. It's like a unicorn moment in life that really happened. Well, Nadia, before we let you go, I just want to ask you, is there one piece of advice that you would give to someone who's trying to switch careers? I mean, not even necessarily to become a TV writer, but to switch any career. That's a good question. There's so many different sides of your pursuit, like for writing, television writing especially. It's who you know and who you can help and who helps you. So it's contacts. It's making genuine connections. And it's also learning all sides of the business, you know, because, for example, trying to sell a spec script to a show just doesn't happen. So if you don't know that going in, you're going to waste your time generally. You know, pilots are what people want to see now. And so knowing the business side and all sides of the strategy of the business really is helpful. That's great advice. Yeah, I definitely treated it like a full-time job. Well, that's what I have always found so impressive about you is you're just single-minded focus. (laughs) And you also had really solid life experience. I I think people sometimes discount all of the experience that they've had in their lives and in their profession. In your case, I mean, it was just so profoundly obvious that you needed to be on 911. (laughs) Yes. I mean, yeah, you can definitely think that and hope that, but... Gosh, you know, when I first started writing, I would say, hey, I used to be a 911 dispatcher, and that's cool. But if you also don't have the writing to back it up, you know, I feel very fortunate that this happened to me. But I I think it's important to know that that wasn't just part of it. I, Like I said, I went to years of pitch events, years of applying to fellowships, years of Austin Film Festival, years and years of just doing the work. Yes. Nadia, thank you so much for joining us. I think your story is going to really resonate and be a little uh, bright light out there in Hollywood right now. So thank you for sharing. 
Aww. Thanks, Nadia. Thank you, ladies. <laughs> Coming up, we have a take a hike about reconnecting with old friends. But first, this break. Liz, there is nothing I love more than having a delicious meal that I didn't have to cook, which is why I have been getting no prep, no mess meals from Factor. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. Last night, I had blackened salmon with broccoli and with cauliflower rice. It was so delicious. It was the perfect dinner. Head to factormeals.com slash HIH50 and use code HIH50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code HIH50 at factormeals.com slash HIH50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Okay, Liz, it is time for Take a Hike, in which we talk about mental, physical, and spiritual health. This week, we're talking about why, when you're feeling adrift, it's good to reconnect with old friends. Yeah, so Sarah, this came up recently um, when I was in Kansas City. Now, I've talked about on the podcast, on this one and on Happier with Gretchen Rubin, that in my life, I'm really prioritizing being there for big events. And unfortunately, that sometimes includes going to funerals. Yes. Um, Recently, someone that we went to high school with died unexpectedly. Someone that we were both close to. And I was traveling and couldn't go. And you decided that you were going to go to the funeral, which I'm so glad you did. I'm so glad I did, too. And it was you know, although incredibly sad, it was a wonderful service. But while I was there, I saw, Sarah, dozens of friends from Kansas City, both friends from our grade and from the class above. And I really got to spend time with people. And of course, an occasion like a funeral brings out a lot of stories, bonding, sharing feelings and emotions. And so I really reconnected with people. And in this time of the strike, I mean, I don't know about you, but I am feeling very adrift. I'm feeling like I don't know what's coming. I'm kind of have, I think we've discussed, free-floating anxiety, um, a lot of fear, massive fear about the future. And so Connecting with these people that I love and have known many of them since fourth grade or younger. Wow. It just gave me a really grounded feeling of safety and being known, being seen. It's just amazing how, you know, you can't make a new old friend. So when you reconnect with old friends, it just it it brings you back to sort of just the root. Um, And for me, in this time of being adrift, it was incredibly helpful. I also think there's something to the pandemic years were so isolating that being able to reconnect with that after a really long time of being separate from people was probably really meaningful as well. 
You're right. I think that people, because they have been so isolated, yes, they're anxious to reconnect. So I think everyone is very much in that mindset. And for me, you know, I am a social person. We talk about that. Like the friendships are extremely important to me. So I get a real overall happiness boost from just strengthening my friendship ties. And I've talked about with friends from high school that as we move through the different phases of life and people get closer to having their children be out of the house, now you and I are behind on that track. We still (laughs) have several more years, but a lot of people are alone again. Kids are out of the house. I think a lot of these friendships can reemerge and strengthen because even if you don't live in the same city, it's easier to get together, easier to have time to talk on the phone and to text. So I actually look forward to all of my friendships from childhood flourishing in the years to come. And losing someone who is a very important member of our class and of the whole community, again, points out, as death always does, that we're not here forever. So we need to really grab that time and make the most of it. Yes. So that's my take a hike, Sarah. Um, For everybody out there who's feeling adrift, reach out to your old friends and let them help you. Coming up, Sarah has an environmentally friendly Hollywood hack. First, this break. Okay, Sarah, it is time for this week's Hollywood hack. Yes. Okay, Liz, this week's Hollywood hack, uh, I feel like we have a very tonally uh, unique episode here. We had like this very uplifting story, (laughs) then we have this very serious and emotional uh, segment, and now we (laughs) we have a Hollywood act about paper towels. So (laughs) my new favorite thing are these unpaper towels from Marley's Monsters. They have literally replaced paper towels in my home. The only thing I use paper towels for now are, you know, if a dog throws up, Uh that's basically it. Right? Everything else, I use these unpaper towels from Marley's Monsters. They're small little squares of kind of a flannel-y fabric. They're so cute. They come in lots of different patterns. You actually want to use them. I have them on the counter in a little basket. Mm. I got like 24 of them. So for a big mess, I'm ready. But usually it's just little small messes. And I no longer use paper towels. Sometimes we use them for napkins. They're just so cute, so usable. You just use it, throw it in the laundry, have more waiting to go. I am absolutely obsessed with these things. That is great because paper towels are not great for the environment. And I mean, not only that, but they are very expensive. They add up quickly. Yes, they absolutely do. And I feel like this is one of those products that actually has changed the way I do things in my home. Like a lot Mm. of things, you get them, whatever they work, they don't. But this has really changed a fundamental way of working my kitchen and my house and cleaning and all of those things. So go Marley's Monsters on paper towels. Yeah. All right. We will link to them in the show notes. And then, Liz, finally, every week we recommend a book, a movie, a podcast, or anything else we love. It doesn't have to be new, just something we're excited about. So this week... I want to recommend the podcast Ologies, hosted by Allie Ward. 
every episode is about a different ology. She did, <laughs> this is unique to me. This is something that I especially enjoy. She did a two-parter on chickenology. She did an episode about her colonoscopy. She does environmental toxicology, fire ecology. She just hits all of these different topics in really interesting ways. And it's funny and fascinating. And she has really great energy. And then the mm. other thing I love is she does shorter episodes for kids. So she'll do an episode on sleep or evolution or fish which I'm totally going to work into Violet's homeschooling schedule. So it's just fun. You really learn a lot and get to enjoy it and, and enjoy her energy. Well, and that's great for summer because I feel like in summer we're look, looking for stuff to listen to that's a little different. So that's great. Ologies hosted by Allie Ward. And that is it for this episode of Happier in Hollywood. We love hearing from you. Email us or send us a voice memo to happierinhollywood at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and please follow us if you haven't already. Thank you to our guest, Nadia Abbas-Madden. Thanks to our executive producer, Chuck Reed, and thanks to everyone at Sinkola Sound. You can follow them on Instagram at Sinkola Sound. Thanks to everyone at Cadence 13. And as always, thank you to Gretchen Rubin. Happier in Hollywood is part of the Onward Project. Listen to the other Onward Project podcasts, Happier with Gretchen Rubin, Side Hustle School, and Everything Happens with Kate Bowler. Get in touch. I'm on Instagram at Fain, and Liz is at Liz Craft. We also have a Facebook group. Search for Happier in Hollywood on Facebook to join in on the conversation. Until next week, I'm Liz Craft. And I'm Sarah Fain. Thanks for joining us. It's a fun job. And we enjoy it. Liz, the idea of doing another retreat in Ojai is slightly less exciting for me than it was back then. I know. We're going to have to find another location <sighs> that that you want to go to, uh, maybe La Jolla. Okay. I was thinking Las Vegas. Oh, I'm going to have a hard <laughs> time concentrating on a writer's routine in Vegas. That's probably true. From the Onward Project.